This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. Coronavirus, COVID-19 is dominating everything in the news, obviously, this week, and for that matter, last week, and unfortunately for weeks to come, both here in Michigan and nationally. And we are very fortunate today to have somebody on the other line with us who is not only a physician, but he is a member of the Michigan Senate. He is Senator John Bison. He is a Republican of Battle Creek. He represents the 19th Senate District. That is Ionia, Barrie, and most significantly Calhoun County, including Battle Creek, which is where he's from. Uh, He served two two two-year terms in the State House of Representatives, representing the 62nd District before he was elected to the State Senate in 2018. And he has his undergraduate degree from Michigan State University, his medical degree from Wayne State University, and really, interestingly, he is a lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force, or at least he was, and he also has served as president of the Michigan State Medical Society. He has a great laundry list of responsibilities and honors in his illustrious career. Uh, In the Senate right now, he is chairman of the Standing Committee on Families, Seniors, and Veterans. He's also a member of the All-Powerful Appropriations Committee, and I believe he is the vice chairman of the Subcommittee on Community Health and Human Services. I want to welcome State Senator John Bison. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you today, Bill. Well, let me... Uh, Go ahead. Sir. Yeah, I just want to start out by asking you what your reaction is, uh, just personally, as I know you're not an epidemiologist, you're an otolaryngologist, that's ear, nose, and throat, but, I mean, how do you think the rank-and-file citizen today should conduct himself or herself? How should they go about business? What should they be doing? What should they be thinking and planning right now? What, do, what would be your advice? My advice would be to uh, to isolate in place, uh, to go home, stay away from others for a little bit, uh, stay with the family, stay healthy, try to avoid uh, contact with other people who are traveling around, and uh, let's get this under control. And I'm under the impression that this um, pandemic that we are currently experiencing is on the verge of tipping either into a whole lot of people becoming sick very, very quickly. If we can avoid that, we would love to avoid that. And right now, one of the best ways of doing that is by washing your hands, but perhaps even more importantly, uh, isolating yourself from many of the others who are going out and going about. And I think this is especially true for our elderly population or else uh, for the population that is, in one way or another, immune-compromised or have chronic diseases. These are the people that are at most risk for dying from 
uh, the coronavirus if they acquire the coronavirus. And we see all of our teenagers right now off in California. I think that is a terrible idea. Uh, they're going to come back. They're going to be uh, spreading disease. It is unlikely that everyone who went down on spring, spring break was uh, immune to the uh, uh, virus or was not exposed to the virus. We have to have had people there that were exposed when they come back and start uh, exposing other people here. We're going to have that 14-day period when, in all probability, they'll be contagious. Some of them will develop symptoms and some of them will not. And uh, right now, for uh, people, I would say there is nothing to be terribly, terribly worried about as long as you are protecting yourself. And, and the way you protect yourself right now is avoid being exposed to other people. You mentioned washing your hands, and, of course, we've seen that ad nauseum over the last couple of weeks. Make sure you wash your hands thoroughly, maybe 20 seconds at a time. I mean, let me practically speaking ask you, what is that supposed to do? In other words, keep your hands clear of of any virus germs that you might have picked up on your hands from touching some surface? surface? I think more than anything else, that is true. You know, you get to see virus transmitted by doorknobs, you get to see the virus transmitted by handrails going up and down stairs. You can see the uh, virus being transmitted by uh, uh, faucet handles and just a whole lot of other things of that nature. The way that you typically transmit this virus is either by being hopped upon by the little uh, spray that you oftentimes will see when a person coughs and uh, by the little droplets that get uh, transmitted, and you can pick it up from hard surfaces. Uh, a little bit harder to transmit it through a soft surface where the virus is more likely to get into the material and not be on the very surface of the, uh, of the uh, substance, whatever it is, the cloth, uh, the covering. Um, but you want to try to keep it off of your hands, and by just doing a wash with soap, you can get rid of 98% of the bacteria and viruses that you would otherwise have on your hands. You want to keep your hands away from your face because um, the skin is relatively impermeable to the virus. The problem isn't that the problem isn't that you have the virus on your hands. The problem is that you use your hands to um, get close to your mouth, get close to your nose, get close to your eyes. And those are all places where you have mucosal surfaces. Uh, you have a lining there that is not as impervious to viruses. And the viruses are much more susceptible to transmission through those membranes. And that's why when you go in to see your doctor, he doesn't do a throat swab. He does a nasal, uh, he does a nasal swab to see whether or not you have the virus at the very beginning of the nose because that's likely to be received. You could get it through the eye. You could get it through uh, um, your uh, oral mucosa. But uh, most of the time, if you're going to get it, it's because of uh, being transmitted through the nose. And that's why wearing a mask uh, is one of the things that's oftentimes recommended either if you are going out and you have it 
or if you are concerned with it being transmitted from somebody else. There are those who would say that uh, you spend a lot of time adjusting those masks, putting those masks on, and you don't want to transmit virus when you do this uh, to your face. You want to try to keep the virus away from your face, if that makes sense. Yeah, Senator Bison, when you talk about uh, coronavirus invading a human body, uh, what is the percentage, as you understand it, of people who actually end up contracting COVID-19? Does it depend to a certain extent on their age or other factors? And is that a low percentage? Uh, We won't get into mortality yet, but I mean, how many people actually contract COVID-19 statistically out of all the people who might contract the virus? I think that uh, the, the studies that I've seen have been confusing to me. Some of them say that uh, uh, it may be a very small amount of people, say two people that would be exposed from anyone exposed uh, from a single exposure to a group. Um, others would say that uh, this can go on, and uh, there are apparently people who are thought to be uh, super infected that uh, there was one study that suggested that as many as 77 people could be infected from a single infected person who does not know that they're even infected that uh, don't have symptoms of being sick. Wow. Listen, let, 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 let's take a short break here, and we will come back and continue to talk about the coronavirus, COVID-19, with Dr. John Bison, also a state senator. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with our guest, Senator John Bison, Republican of Battle Creek, who is a licensed physician, an otolaryngologist. That's eye, uh, not eye, but ear, nose, and throat doctor. And he uh, has important positions in the Michigan State Senate, uh, chairman of important committees. Um, I just want to ask Senator Bison, what is your reaction to the way the state legislature, in particular right now, the state Senate, of which you're a member, uh, how are they reacting to this crisis? Uh, are they doing a good job in your estimation? Do you detect any misunderstandings or differences of opinion, uh, given the fact that you have you know, a very highly qualified medical background and you're serving with a bunch of laymen and laywomen? What about that? I think that the um, the Senate and the House uh, have both been very, very responsive to the governor in getting her much of the money that uh, she had requested to combat this virus. Um, If you ask if we're doing a good job, I would say I believe we are. We are providing money for her to draw down federal funds, and it's those federal funds that uh, are ramping up very, very quickly at this point in time. But uh, government is never quick, and I would fully anticipate that it's still going to take a couple of weeks to get 
uh, money uh, to the people who are going to need it most uh, following the quarantine that we have. I was very excited with the uh, unemployment benefits that are going to be uh, coming up, supported by the federal government. We have uh, paid sick leave time and family leave time that's uh, being uh, moved forward. And I think these are both very important. Uh, and continuing, uh, we have small business loans that are um, currently coming from the federal government, um, ramping that up to the billions of dollars. And right now under consideration is nearly a trillion-dollar support package for our economy. And uh, this will be one of the biggest spends uh, since the uh, Great Depression, as I understand it. And the, in the medical field, too, we are advancing very, very quickly. Uh, we're talking about being able to test rather than the hundreds of people a day that we do now. We might very well be able to uh, move into an area where uh, we're testing tens of thousands of people in Michigan a day, and that's going to make our numbers go up, obviously. But the good news is we're going to know who's infected and who is not. And if you're talking about getting our hands around this, that's going to be very important to us to be able to test widely to find out who do we need to have uh, uh, treated. I'm looking forward to there being a point in time when our hospitals are under increasing stress. Uh, I think that our hospitals are very able to handle that as long as we don't overstress them. And that's why this time of uh, the preventage of the passage may keep us from having a great big spike and transfer that over to a much lower spike that is further out, but it gives us the room to treat the patients as they show up, get them out, and then reuse the beds. The fact that we may have uh, new medical treatments coming to include uh, the use of uh, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine, uh, which is an old, old drug used uh, in the 1940s for malaria, uh, may very well be coming back. And everything that I've seen so far says that uh, that may be a uh, recommended treatment for this. We're also using a HIV antiviral drug as well as an anti-Ebola medication that is showing a great deal of promise. And although they haven't been used for this specific indication, uh, there is no reason why doctors can't use them as all three or four of those drugs have been approved by the FDA. And doctors oftentimes take advantage of what they call off-label use for using it in other situations where uh, the doctor thinks it might be appropriate and applicable. Senator Bison, um, I think California has just become the first state to have a statewide uh, shelter-in-place lockdown uh, declared by Governor Gavin Newsom. Do you see that possibly happening in here in Michigan? And how long do you think this crisis is likely to last here in Michigan and nationally? What do you think? You know, if we just let this uh, epidemic run its course, we're going to have a much higher morbidity. A lot more people are going to die than if we spread it out. But if we spread it out, that means that we're prolonging the, the point in time where we need to uh, where we need to keep people away from each other. And that means that we're going to have to move to either site isolation or a statewide quarantine, probably depending upon how bad this is getting here within the state. Um, and the real question in my mind is, 
what is the effect of the brand new therapies that are coming online on the effect of this virus. The new treatments coming on are very exciting in that it seems to decrease the severity of the disease. Uh, we may even be able to use it for prophylaxis so that rather than uh, giving it after you become infected, we may be able to use it in a much lower dose for those who are at highest risk of getting it. Uh, you know, our emergency workers, our transportation, and whoever else is deemed essential in uh, um, the treatment of, of this disease process. And if we can do that, then that's going to make our medical community much more resilient, much more able to handle and shorten the time necessary for this uh, self-quarantining. But um, we're just at the beginning of this, and uh, we're going to be watching it closely. I don't think we have those answers as of yet. When you mention medical treatment and these new drugs that are going to be coming online, are these drugs that are going to be administered to people who have tested positive for coronavirus, or is your idea that somehow the entire population ought to be inoculated against the coronavirus by these new drugs? And that's going to take a heck of a long time, isn't it? It probably will. These are drugs that we have not used a lot of, and so we're going to be looking forward to the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies to ramp up the uh, production of these drugs, much like the vaccine testing. Right now we can do a couple hundred of these tests a day, and we're looking to do tens of thousands of these uh, tests, hopefully within two or three weeks. That, again, is going to uh, change the entire conversation. We're going to be having, uh, and I don't know that for a vaccine, we're probably looking at 8, 12 months out before we have a vaccine. So if this becomes one of those cyclical things where you get it uh, every year, then uh, we'll probably be getting uh, the coronavirus vaccine along with the influenza vaccine. There are similarities between the two, but uh, we would anticipate having similar protection from that. When we talk about prophylaxis, in some of our workers, um, I would see prophylaxis largely going to those working in hospitals, those involved in transportation, perhaps those involved in testing rather than to the entire general population. Um, If you ask about treatment, I think it depends upon the severity of the treatment because we're going to have people walking around who are completely asymptomatic and yet have the disease. And if we have limited supplies of the medication, then the question becomes, do we want to treat these people or do we want to treat some of uh, the other Uh, people. And if we simply quarantine those people who have the coronavirus, they should, after a period of uh, 10 days to two and a half weeks, no longer be infectious. And we can release them back into the population knowing that they have immunity and no one else has gotten sick because of it. Okay. I wish we could keep talking about this. You're just doing a great job of explaining this to everybody. Thank you so much, Senator John Bison. Republican of Battle Creek, uh, physician, giving us great oversight. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have got another special guest on the phone with us, and she is former State Representative Nancy Quarles, a Democrat of Southfield, and... 
she served three two-year terms, if I'm not mistaken. I think between 1996 and 2002, I cannot believe it, but it has been almost two decades since she was in the Michigan legislature. But during uh, all that time, I think she's been a member of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners. Nancy Quarles, thank you for being our guest on The Political Insider. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, yes, I did serve my um, six terms, and I didn't realize how long it's been until you mentioned it. Yes, it was in 96 uh, through uh, 2002. And after I left the legislature, I took some time off from uh, elected positions. Uh, I didn't go back and run for the Oakland County Commission until 2010. And in between, I uh, started back to uh, teaching. I teach at uh, Central Michigan in political science and public administration, worked with a number of nonprofits, helping them with uh, fund development and community outreach. So I kept myself busy for those 10 years. And uh, Now you're even more busy. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So there, there is life after it. And I think it's healthy to take a break in between... Uh, uh, elected positions. And let me just clarify, I am not a supporter of term limits, but uh, there's some advantages I see, and I and it really has helped me uh, in my uh, elected positions. Yeah, I, I think was mistaken when I said you served 10 terms as a member of the Oakland County Board. You served 10 years, right? Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, okay, so five terms. You're in your fifth term right now, right? Yes. I'm yeah. in my fifth term. Yeah, and didn't you used to be on what, like the Southfield City Council before you were in the legislature? Didn't you have political office before you were state rep? Yes, I did. Actually, my very first position was uh, Oakland County Commissioner and then um, uh, State Representative uh, Maxine Berman. Right. She decided to leave early, and that allowed me to uh, come in um, at the very, very beginning of uh, term limits. So I uh, did one term as an Oakland County Commissioner and then the uh, six terms as a state representative. Uh, took some time off from elected positions and I uh, went back into it. Right. Well, you're juggling a lot of balls right now, as you said, between uh, 2002 and 2010 when you got back into politics. You'd uh, hooked up with Central Michigan University. You have been a, a political science professor up there uh, and uh, at their satellite offices, I think, in southeast Michigan. Can you explain what are you teaching at Central Michigan and uh, how do you do it? Do you have to commute to Mount Pleasant or can you do it pretty much in southeast Michigan? Yes, um, both. I teach political science and public administration. Uh, my Ph.D. is in public affairs and public uh, administration. And with Central Michigan, I when I came on full-time, I uh, went into their uh, college of social behavior, liberal arts and social behavior, which is uh, uh, where the Department for Political Science and Public Administration is held, the class that taught. Now, I do teach on main campus. Um, and I, but most of my um, teaching is at their global campuses uh, in Michigan, uh, Southfield, Dearborn, um, Clinton Township, Travis City. And I've also taught at some of the global campuses outside of Michigan, 
um, in uh, Atlanta, um, Virginia. Uh, I think uh, higher ed is getting like most other industries. They are looking for other opportunities, and Central Michigan has been very fortunate into um, making and having contacts and contracts with uh, military bases. Wow, that is really interesting. You really have moved around. Don't you also teach or have taught a course of women in politics? Yes, yes. Uh, I must say that's one of my favorite courses. And uh, I've taught that at uh, Central Michigan. And I have also did adjunct at some other uh, universities and community colleges, such as Oakland Community College. I've taught at Western Michigan um, University. And a couple others. But, yes, women in politics. I, I enjoyed that, especially uh, in the last few years. It gave me an opportunity to uh, talk to students about uh, women and uh, women's political socialization and, and how we've been moving through the generation. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have a number of elected uh, women come in. And as well as sometimes I think people forget that, the appointed positions are equally as important. Uh, so I had appointees come in and uh, explain how they moved through the process, how uh, um, many of the decisions and policies uh, come out of committee work, uh, particularly citizens' committees, and then move into uh, the legislature or move into the county commission. And sometimes people don't understand the importance of that. And and it's real important to get people to apply for the various commissions and authorities. And we have them at all three levels of government, the federal, the state, and the local. And when I normally speak of local, I'm I'm speaking of the municipal and the county as the local. So I, I do. I really encourage my students. I encourage people when I give uh, speeches. Uh, invited to various groups to start looking at those because that's where a lot of the decisions are made and that's where you can be very influential on what's going on. Well, Professor Quarles, uh, as you know right now, unfortunately, the news is dominated by coronavirus and COVID-19. That's just about all anybody is thinking about or talking about, and you've had to deal with it uh at the county level, because you're an elected county commissioner in Oakland County, the state's second biggest county. And also, I'm just curious, uh, what kind of impact has it had on you in higher education at CMU and wherever you're teaching uh, courses at the college level? Yes, it has a major uh, impact on higher ed and bringing it close to home, uh, Central Michigan, as well as uh, most of the universities in um, the state of Michigan. Uh, Central Michigan, um, yesterday, our president announced that we're no longer doing face-to-face classes uh, for the rest of the semester. Everything will be online. Uh, Now, I have taught online classes before, so some of the professors, adjuncts, and other instructors are having to make that uh, shift as well as students, uh, the, online, excuse me, the students that are on main campus that's used to going to the face-to-face classes. But it seems to be a very smooth transition. Um, everyone is uh, stepping up. Uh, those who are not familiar with working uh, with online uh, detect support, 
uh, the instructoral for teachers, faculties are helping each other. So that is moving forward. Um, well, the are the students are the students going to stay on campus in their dorms and do this, or are they all going home? It has been encouraged that they go home. Now, those that can't, because you do know most universities have international students, and then there's other students who, uh, for various reasons, they can't go home. The dorms are uh, open, and they do have the students there. Uh, with the facilities, the uh, cafeteria, and other things that uh, you need for living. Uh, precaution is being made on, on campus. They're uh, taking the necessary distance. They're taking the necessary uh, steps to ensure that uh, they're having washing, washing their hands, sanitizing the various areas. But it's, it's very few um, students bodies that actually on campus now, and most of them are uh, home doing uh, the online. And as I said, right now, through the spring semester, uh, all classes uh, will be online, and then a decision will be made after that. Okay. We are going to have to take a short break here, but we will be back with Professor, Commissioner, former State Representative Nancy Quarles of Southfield. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with Professor... County Commissioner, former State Representative Nancy Quarles of Southfield, and she has been explaining how coronavirus and COVID-19 have impacted higher education because she is a professor at Central Michigan University, but she is also an elected Oakland County Commissioner from Southfield, uh, now in her fifth term at least at this juncture. Uh, And I want to ask you, Nancy Quarles, uh, what is the county's response and reaction to coronavirus and COVID-19 right now. Uh, County government, what are you doing? Uh, What is the county executive, Dave Coulter, doing? How are you interacting? Uh, Do you think that the state is doing everything it should be doing at this point? Uh, For that matter, the federal government, how do you look at it? Wow, that's a big question. I'll start with the county first. Uh, Our county exec, uh, David Coulter, uh, Mr. Exec has been very active, and he has taken all the steps he and his uh, administration can take to be proactive. Uh, as with most uh, counties and, and the state, too, we're under an emergency here. Uh, he has uh, released a number of, um, of directives on how the county will function, uh, our intent is to still give as much service and have the services available to uh, the citizens and residents of um, Oakland County, but with the caution of safety for both the residents as well as the, the staff. Certain services, such as our sheriff, uh, police, fire, uh, as you know, they're, they're, they're still functioning. Uh, of course, again, they're, they're taking the precautions with the materials, uh, supplies, masks, and other things to keep both uh, the um, the workers as well as the citizens safe. 
uh, I had a call yesterday from one of uh, the um, workers, uh, staff people at one of our mental health uh, facilities, and I talked to the deputy, one of his deputy county execs, uh, about getting masks and other supplies to the to the mental health um, agency, and he the deputy uh, county exec uh, called me back and said that they ordered it and. They're going to work with uh, Easterfield, one of the agencies, as well as uh, Community Health Network, and getting them the things that uh, they have. This is just a long way of saying that from the administration perspective, they're doing everything to keep people safe. That's first and foremost. And then second on that list is to make sure the services are still available to them. Yeah, Commissioner uh, Nancy Crawls, let, let me just ask you this. What is your schedule as a county commissioner? How often do you meet? And has the coronavirus uh, infection uh, had an impact on meeting as Board of Commissioners? I mean, are, are you planning to meet regularly the way you have been? Are you altering your schedule? What about that? Yeah, yeah. And that's where I was going. Uh, our county chairman, county board of commission chairman, David Woodward, uh, has put in place that we're not meeting. Uh, we're uh, upholding to all the uh, requirements that have been put out uh, on safety. So what, what we have been doing, and we had our first meeting um, by virtual meeting, we used uh, oh, Google really? meeting. Oh, okay. We had our first one Wednesday. Um, normally, uh, our commission meets uh, Thursday, the second and the fourth, either on a Thursday morning or a Wednesday evening. We alter between the two. Uh, the evening meetings are so more citizens uh, can feel free to attend our meetings. Uh, he held the meeting. Um, he was there at the Board of, of Commission's auditorium. Uh, it was posted. Uh, citizens could come for public comment, but uh, for this first meeting that we had, wasn't any citizens' comments. And we just went through our agenda as we normally do. Uh, we Our board consists of 21 commissioners, and um, fortunately, all 21 was there. Uh, only two were for various reasons with the Internet in their area of Oakland County. They weren't able to do the video portion, but they were there on phone. And we conducted the business uh, of the of the citizens and of Oakland County via video. Well, okay, you, you said David Woodward was in the auditorium, the chairman of the, uh, the Board of Commissioners. Are you saying he was the only one there and everybody yes. else was either at home or in their offices doing this online? Right. Yes. Wow. Um, Mr. Chair was there at the uh, facility, the Oakland County Commissioner's uh, Auditorium, and the other uh, 20 of us were uh, home or right. at work. Actually, uh, one of the commissioners was in his car driving back to his home when the <laughs> meeting started. Wow. So he, uh, uh, I shouldn't say that, but he was uh, conducting and, and having listening to the meeting as he was on his way home. So, yes, we're, we're offering things, we're doing the things that's necessary to carry the uh, business forward. So uh, Oakland County is, is still functioning, as I imagine the other counties are. I did have had the opportunity to talk to some of the commissioners in various counties, and they're taking the necessary steps to get their uh, their work done as well. Are they doing um, the same thing in other counties, in other words, meeting online? Yes, yes. Um, I, 
this morning I spoke to my chairman, and he had, uh, was telling me that he had talked to some other um, chairs of the various boards around the state and asked how did we do the um, video meeting, and he explained, and um, now they're starting to conduct it that way, and especially since uh, the governor has um, uh, taken the restriction off of the Open Meetings Act where we can have video uh, meetings, and uh, that's a temporary act uh, while this um, epidemic is uh, taking place. This is the first so, time you've really done this, isn't it? Meeting online extensively and indefinitely. You don't know how much longer it's going to go on, but this is the first time you've ever really done this. Is that correct or not? Yeah, it is. It is. It's the first time that uh, it has ever happened in the state of Michigan because of our Open Meetings Act uh, was not um, uh, available for video meetings of government entities. And until Madam Governor uh, lifted that, I think she did that last week, that's when uh, we were able to start meeting that way. Well, you know, I'm thinking maybe this is a wave of the future, you know? Maybe you don't have to go in, uh, you know, to Pontiac or wherever the headquarters is anymore. Yeah, you can it. meet it's online Pontiac. indefinitely. Well, this could go on for years. Well, you know, now that was something <laughs> several years ago that was uh, discussed at the federal level. Why have all the congressionals come to Washington when they not only handle the meeting business that needs to be done in Washington, but they can be here with their constituents. So I don't know where that is with the federal, but uh, that was a discussion that took place several years ago. Yeah, you know, that is really interesting, uh, what you say, because, uh, you know, I had somebody suggest last week on this program that there could be a sea change in the way universities uh, conduct business from now on. I mean, if the students, as you described, are going to be – interacting with their professors online as of yesterday at CMU, uh, what's maybe to prevent the feeling kicking in at the level of higher academia? You know what? Maybe we don't have to have all these dorms on campus and house all these students. Maybe students could conduct coursework online over time. I mean, the same thing could be true of higher education as could be true of county boards of commissioners. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's a strong possibility. I, I'm sure if you look at statistics, most universities are growing in their online uh, division more than students actually going to uh, campus. Uh, so I don't think it's something that's new for um, universities. And as I've been reading in my uh, educational journals, more and more the universities, especially right now as we are facing uh, the virus, uh, have uh, moved to to the online. And, and as you said, this just might be the uh, one of the ways of the future. Uh, of course, there's advantages of having classes on uh, face-to-face. Uh, that's a socialization uh, uh, steps that uh, help and benefit students. But uh, we'll, we'll see. It, it, it's, um, I almost liken this to after World War II when they changed the a number of the factories and to doing things that help to get equipment for the various um, branches of government. When that crisis was over, then uh, they had to go back to somewhat to their norms they had in place. Right. 
Listen, uh, boy, we could keep talking about this. I'm just interested, for instance, whether you're self-sheltering yourself, <laughs> you're quarantining yourself personally, uh, but we don't have any more time, and we're all out of it. But uh, Commissioner Nancy Quarles, former state representative, Professor Nancy Quarles of Central Michigan University, you've been a great guest, giving us some great insights. Thank you so much for joining yes, us please. today. Thank you. Thank you. And please invite me back. I will. We definitely will. Thank you. We will be back next week.